0: I'm Stephen John Drew from the official GunnaGeek.com show, a weekly geek news podcast that is a part of the Gunna Geek Network, just like the show you're checking out now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other awesome geeky shows at GunnaGeekNetwork.com. Welcome
1: to episode 235 of Better Podcasting. On this show, we help you buy digital real estate. In this week's Better Podcasting download, SP gives
0: his first impressions of the new Zoom H8 Handy Recorder.
1: And finally, in this week's Better Pod Stephen replies to somebody about his use of a Stream Deck.
0: Lauren, you know what else is handy? I got a button here for the intro.
2: Welcome to Better Podcasting, with a combined history of over a thousand episodes. And starting as early as 2008, we are hobby podcasters through and through, just like you. That's why we are different. We minimize the money talk so that you can focus on building a better podcast. Here are the hosts for the show, Stephen John Drew and Stargate Pioneer.
0: Welcome to episode 235 of Better Podcasting. I am Stephen Chandra, and I am pleased to say SP is here again this week.
1: I'm so glad to be in the studio recording Better Podcasting, highlight of my week every week. Actually, all the podcasting I do is highlight of my week. It's not just Better Podcast, but this is special because we're talking to other podcasters about how to make their podcast better.
0: Absolutely. Now, if you didn't know this, we like to start off the show with a how I save my podcast story before we get into the featured segment. And that's just because we think that there is a benefit to us sharing stories where people had something go wrong with their podcast and how they fixed it and just give everybody a little bit of comfort to know that things do go wrong, but also get some ideas about how they might be able to fix things if they do go wrong. It's not always about panicking. It's not all about doing it all over. But Sometimes it is. And let's go to today's how I save my podcast story. Sp, this is an email submission we got. So I will turn it over to you because you are our, you see, this is why you are our resident reader.
1: I received an email. Actually, we both received an email from Charles Current from the Lock Sports podcast. And that we'll go over a little bit later. Anyway, Charles said, I recently had to save my podcast. My setup is a RODECaster Pro recording multi-track to an SD card. Reaper is also recording multi-track on my computer. For this episode, I was experimenting with adding video. So I had the monitor out from the RODECaster plugged into the mic input of a camera through an attenuator. The camera input tends to add some noise. So I only intended to use the camera audio to make syncing the audio easier in post. After recording, I realized that I had forgotten to hit record in Reaper. So, no backup. I thought, no problem. The Rodecaster was recording. I transferred the files from the Rodecaster, put them in DaVinci Resolve, and I started trying to sync the audio. But I couldn't get it to line up. I realized that the Rodecaster audio was about one minute shorter than the camera version. Scrolling back through, I found that they lined up perfectly for most of the video, and then suddenly didn't. After careful inspection, I found the RODECaster file had a missing section and I had no Reaper backup. Luckily, the camera audio was there. I cleaned it up, made it match as best as I could and used it to replace the missing section. Podcast saved. I now have a revised setup. I, in addition to Reaper and the RODECaster, I send the monitor out from the RODECaster into my Zoom H2n and then into the camera and unlike the camera, the H2N records a nice clean backup from the Roadcaster. FYI, the podcast I saved was the Lock Sports Cast, which is a weekly Lock Sport news show. Currently, the only podcast dedicated to covering the Lock Sport. Lock sport is the sport or recreation of defeating locking systems. Charles Current. Charles, thank you very much for sending this to us. This hits all The usual things back up your files, back up your recordings, and make sure that you have plenty of stuff to play with. Because in post, something eventually will go wrong. By the way, Stephen, I have something to say about lock sports because actual locksmiths use stuff like this to hone their tradecraft because there's no like lock pick school out there, and there are legitimate businesses out there like lawyers and dentists, doctors, and heck law enforcement, they use safes and to get into these safes require locks. And a lot of locks nowadays require electronics, uh, batteries, and so on and so forth. And sometimes they just don't work or the batteries run out and it takes a lot of time and knowledge in order to defeat modern day locking systems. So this is actually very important. It's very underground and you might think it's criminal. Some of it is, but a lot of it isn't.
0: The other thing that I think is worth mentioning here and why I I think this was a really good thing to um, highlight is they used a Rodecaster Pro and the audio was missing. And we've talked a lot about how in our experience, handheld recorders are generally a little bit more reliable that we've seen than just like a software interface because some, you know, like Windows and stuff sometimes will crash and things like that. But this can happen where you can have dropouts. And we've briefly talked about that before, that dropouts will sometimes happen even with hardware recorders. Could be the device. It could be the SD card. It could be a variety of different things. Throw in the complication that is the Rodecaster Pro, which is acting as a recorder and an interface. And who knows? Like, so I think that this is really worth considering that sometimes this does happen. And uh You know, I I think there is a balance you have to have of backups and things like that. But on the flip side, that, you know, at least you only lost a minute. There may have been a way that you could have salvaged that. Otherwise, if you didn't have a backup, you could have gone and re-recorded a section. Maybe you could have taken the whole section out. There are ways to handle that. But um, just because you got a hardware recorder of some form doesn't mean that it's 100% going to work 100% of the time.
1: That's fair enough. We're both big advocates of buying a domain, otherwise known as a website address, for your podcast. We think that a domain is one of the best things that you can do to help secure your podcast name for a relatively low price. And sometimes you might be buying more than one domain for your podcast, by the way. Today, we want to talk all about buying a domain for your podcast, some recommendations that we have on how to do it, and an overview of the technical workings for the domains. Steven, let's start by talking about what a domain is.
0: For sure. A domain is essentially an address that you use to access your website, podcast, etc. It's basically a way of taking those technical numbers that work in the background in the internet and giving it a nice, easy to access, generally word-based interface. You know how you enter something in, like you go to betterpodcasting.com. That is basically a, a redirect to a bunch of numbers that are out on the internet. That's how that all works. But a domain generally consists of two parts. For example, with betterpodcasting.com, we'll call the first part better podcasting, that first part, and the second part being the com. Now, some of you are probably saying, Stephen, SP, what are you talking about? There's a third part. It's the www. Well, Technically speaking, that's what you call a subdomain. And that's why you can go to betterpodcasting.com and that redirects to www.betterpodcasting.com. So for all intents and purposes, we are going to call this a two-part to the domain structure, the first part and the second part. And the second part, in our example here, the com, is something that is established by various organizations. Now, for today's topic, we want to treat that as being a fixed thing. There are only certain extensions, the second part, the com, that you can get. Because com is not the only one that you can get. And we'll talk about that in a bit. Now, a little technical note, so that people who are screaming at their listening devices right now and are getting ready to draft their email to us. Yes, that is true that technically speaking, that is not fixed. There is a way that You can actually get a custom version of that, but it requires an obscene amount of money to do. And so we are going to say, since we are a hobby podcast and talking to hobby podcasters, that you should assume that that second part, the extension, is something that is established by other organizations and that is not customizable other than choosing which one that you pick. Now, SP, what are some of the common extensions that you might see that second part of the domain.
1: Yeah, the second part of the domain is something that can be a difficult decision to make when you are selecting URL. You might be familiar with the common ones like .com, .ca, .net. There are actually many others available as well. Some of the common ones that you might hear in podcasting include .com, .ca, .net, .live, .fm, .org and even .space, SNASA.space, or StargatePioneer.space. They both work, guys. All right, but there really are a ton of other extensions available, and you just kind of got to settle on one, right? It's worth noting as well that domains are not a one-time purchase, though. Domains are something that you have to pay for annually. This means that you're essentially leasing it for a year or however long your contract is with your registrar. There are terms and conditions that you have to follow. And if you violate those, you could actually lose your domain along the way, which is important. We'll talk about that. As well as if you stop paying, you give it up, this could lead to somebody else getting it. Often, when a domain lapses, the registrar will either let it expire and somebody can register fairly shortly after the cancellation process goes through. And other times, different registrars will send it to auction. In any case, Anyone could register it and you can't get it back unless you successfully negotiate with the new owner, which is a big hassle and might be way more money than you actually have. And honestly, if somebody else snatches it up, they might use it for something else. And then you've lost all those redirects that you might have had into your podcast previously.
0: We've actually had people write our show before. If you go listen to the back catalog, you'll have heard us mention at least once. I can think of maybe more than that, that somebody has paid a significant amount of money to get their podcast domain back. It's the way that it is. And sometimes people don't give it up. And ultimately, it's their right not to give it up if they do a registration after it's expired. It is what it is. But the question is, how do you register your domain? Well, first, you need to find an available domain. Now, there are websites that you can do to specifically search for domains. But ultimately, we say that you should just search through whoever you're thinking of registering your domain through. It's kind of an all-in-one solution. Yeah, you might have to enter a Captcha or something like that. For example, Hover, Namecheap, Google Domains, etc. And you can go in there and they make it easy. You got a box, you enter in what you're thinking about registering and it'll tell you whether or not it's available and the price that it's available for, because some domains do have a premium price to it that you do have to pay extra for. When you do search though, you really wanna consider the two parts that we discussed earlier. You need to consider the main part, the first part, as well as that extension. And this is important to consider the extension because there are some situations that you may have to go to another extension in order to get that. For example, A .com may be taken, but the .net may not be available. But just because it's available doesn't mean that you should do that because you need to look at legal repercussions, whether you're going to be infringing on someone's property, whether you're going to have a hard time getting SEO, etc. There is a bunch of different considerations with that. Just because uh, another extension exists doesn't mean it's a smart idea, especially if it gets you in legal hot water.
1: It's also worth noting that some extensions may only be available to register under certain conditions. The most infamous that I know is .ca, which is only available for Canadians. I have tried to register a CA before, and I just can't. I, I am American, and I cannot, whereas Stephen can't. And actually, Stephen has suggested that he might appropriate the domain for me in previous conversations, but we've just let it slide. Anyway. Once you've found that domain that you want to register, now you have to go through the ordering process. In order to do this, you'll need to provide your full information, including your legal name, which incidentally, Stargate Pioneer is not my legal name. So I cannot register a domain under Stargate Pioneer, just if you were curious. Your address, your legal address, your phone number and your email. The email is important because you want to be contacted in the future. So don't put a throwaway email address that you will never use again. You will also need payment information and agree to the terms of service for the registrar. But that is not going to be the only thing you need to do when you register. There are also technical aspects that you'll need to configure after you go through the purchase. The bottom line is that a domain is a name that points somewhere, which means you'll need to point it to somewhere once you buy it. There are two ways that you can do this. If you're running a website, you'll be provided something called name servers. Essentially, this is the technical area that makes the domain name talk to the numbers that Steven was talking about that hide in the background. You'll need to enter this information, the name servers, into your domain panel in your registrar. The other way that you can set this up is using the domain panel and on some domain registrars, this is very accessible. Some of them have the ability that you can set a forwarding address. For example, you may be able to set your domain simply to redirect to your existing website. And Generally speaking, this will mean that your domain is only used as a gateway to your website as the domain that will often not be the one that shows in the address bar. A good example for that is one that we use, Geeks.Live. So you put in Geeks.Live, that will take you to our live stream, but that is not the URL that shows in the address bar. I believe it's geek.com slash live that shows up there. There are some redirect services that offer masking and background information. We're not going to get into that with this podcast though. And once you've got all that configured, you need to wait. There is a, just like posting your podcast, there is a certain amount of time that it takes for the changes to go through to the World Wide Web. It is not instantaneous. It takes a while to actually update through all the systems. Sometimes it can take days, but with a well-known registrar, it's usually only hours, if not about 15 minutes or so. Sometimes it's even less with a well-known registrar.
0: This is something that's evolved a lot over the last few years. Back when I was registering domains many, many years ago, I would have to wait for days. Like, I, when I ran the comic book website, I would sometimes message people who were on there from outside of North America because I was using a North American register, registrar, and I would say, Hey, is this updated yet? And it would be like a day or two later, and they'd be like, No, not yet. <laughs> and it just depended on how it was. But luckily, the internet has gotten a little more efficient in this way. And, uh, and things seem to update a lot faster. And I could get into all the technical reasons why it can be even right down to a few individual people that's that it's delayed, but I won't. But it's just know that for the mass amount of people, it's usually relatively fast if you are using a reputable registrar. I say reputable because sometimes when there's resellers or reselling reselling domains, yes, I said that several times, it can be a mess.
1: It can, which is why I usually use somebody that's just well known like Hover or Namecheap.
0: Now let's move on to talking a little bit about some best practices that we think when you are registering a domain for your podcast. Let's start off with the first one that we think is arguably the most important. And it's that we think that you need to register a domain for your podcast that is easy to remember. Now we say that, and you might be thinking, well, that means that I should have something that is just a very, very open, straightforward, one-word domain that anybody can remember. But that's not actually what we mean by that. We think it's important that you register something that is easy for your audience to remember.
1: Oh, I, I got it. Supercalifragilisticexpialidocious.com
0: I'm, I'm sure it's taken and we don't know what's there. So don't, don't go looking. I have
1: no idea. Do you actually know how to spell that?
0: I'm sure there is a way that you could spell that, yeah.
1: Yeah, and your audience probably doesn't know either.
0: <laughs> okay, fair enough. But if you do have a podcast that on you know, the surface seems a little bit confusing, but you know that that's the name you're going to go with your podcast, you could register a domain to go with that podcast. And the reason that we say that is because your domain is going to be, if it's based off of your podcast itself, you are going to be marketing that name Every single episode that you do, it might even be on your artwork or it should be on your artwork. If it's your name of your podcast, it'll be on tweets. It'll be all over the social media. And so you're going to hammer that name of your podcast into your audience's head. So if you make the domain follow that, it's it's easy for your audience to remember because they'll probably remember the name of your podcast. But the second part that we think is important to consider with the rememberability is the extension because we mentioned there's a whole bunch of different extensions available. And as of, of a few years ago, there has been a significant change that has allowed the floodgates to open for the extension, that second part of the domain. Did you know there's actually a .dot .pizza? Yes, you can get a .dot .pizza domain name, but if pizza doesn't relate to your podcast, it might not be easy for people to remember that it's a dot pizza. Okay, maybe it'll be so odd that it will be, but there's all sorts of other weird extensions, especially if it's close to something common like the com. It might not be easy for them to remember what they are supposed to be going to and their gut instinct because .com for at least the North American market is pretty popular, even up in Canada, people might have their gut instinct to go to .com. So you really want to consider the rememberability with some of these weird domains that are out there right now. And also, it's probably a good idea to make sure that it's not super long, especially if you are going to be marketing your uh, website address, your domain name, because think about it. Every time you make that domain name longer, your font gets smaller on the marketing material because you got to try to fit it in there to whatever you are marketing. So they might not be able to easily see it If you have to make the font so small to fit on your business card or on your shirt or on your mug or on the back of that bus that I know SP is going to uh, register an ad for on Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D.
1: So basically, Stephen, what you're saying is that we could use that podcast about podcasting by Stephen and SP called BetterPodcasting.com. But that might be a little bit too long to remember and market.
0: You know, someone else is going to register that, right? Go ahead. (laughs) (laughs)
1: The longer the domain is, the harder it's going to be to remember and market. Another recommendation that we have is that you choose the domain registrar where you can get privacy for your domains. For all intents and purposes, we're going to say that without privacy, your personal contact information that you registered your domain with is accessible to anyone who wants to look it up. And the privacy helps protect that. Some registrars, you have to pay extra for the domain privacy. Others include it for free. And for those of you that have been podcasting for a little while, you might not have a domain and you're looking into a domain. Just think of all those random emails that you already get through your podcast RSS feed of people scraping your email address through there. There's a ton of people that will scrape that information from your domain information if it is not set to private. So just think about that. We also recommend that you set your domain on auto renewal and keep your payment information up to date. We both know, as we said before, people who accidentally lost their domains because they didn't keep the information up to date, the domain lapsed, and they never got emails because their email address has changed too. They lost the domain. And finally, as a hobbyist, it's important that you balance your budget. One thing that we wanna highlight is that not all domain registrars are created equal. There can be a significant variance with both price base of domains and add-ons, such as the domain privacy. It's important to consider both of these. While there are factors that should be considered, finding the right balance of price is important. For example, both of us once moved from a popular domain registrar that was one of the cheapest at the time to one that was a little bit more expensive because the cheaper one had a complex domain panel. At times, we could not understand it, and the slightly more expensive one was much cleaner and much more straightforward. But since then, that original domain registrar has actually become more expensive because they charge for privacy on top of the domain, while the one we moved to offers privacy for free, and I have preferred it ever since. And lastly, on the budget, it's worth considering the renewal fee. Usually annual renewal fees are more expensive than the original initial registration fee. This is important to look up ahead of time, especially with some of these new domains. For example, a lot of those new extensions are trying to get a base, so they give at a discounted price for the initial purchase. And some of them register just for a few bucks that, but they renew at like $50, or I've even seen more than that annually. So you gotta watch it when you're looking at the cheap initial year price. And while you can switch the domain as the year ends to another registrar, it is a slight pain and you might actually lose a little redirect or forwarding time during the trade-in process.
0: One tip that we have for if you wanna find that renewal price um, is to add multiple years in there as you're searching. Don't go through the order yet, but if you actually go to add multiple years, a lot of times it'll say first year, $5. bucks. 2nd year, $200. So it'll at least give you a bit of an indication there. Um, now it can change and domain extension and prices and renewal prices do change uh, sometimes on a multiple time per year basis. So just keep that in mind. What you see today isn't necessarily what it will renew for next year. In summary, no matter what domain you're going to register, you should keep in mind that you're not technically married to it. You can always let it lapse. But in a sense, like a marriage, there'll always be a little connection with that because you have probably started to market it. And as such, you might have materials that are out on the internet, or maybe you have a podcast of X episodes that you've referred to that domain that you no longer have if you do choose to let it lapse. So you should... Put some consideration in before you register, but we think that it is a really, really, really beneficial thing for podcasters to have because it makes things simpler, especially if you're hosting your podcast on like a media host or something that has a long URL. You register a domain and it makes it a lot easier for people to remember that rather than a really long address on your media host website let us know what your experiences have been with domain registering is there something that you registered and that you regretted did you ever let one lapse and have to try to get it back or was there something else that you think would be beneficial for the audience to know who is looking to register a domain you can get in touch with us through any of the ways including coming to our discord server at betterpodcasting.com slash discord this is the better podcasting download Stargate Pioneer for those who missed the Better Podcasting live chat last week episode 17 you missed the fact that SP was away and I had a special guest co-host Chris Farrell on that episode and we still featured a little bit of feedback from the one and only Stargate Pioneer because you had you had sent it to us with your first impressions of the Zoom H8. Uh, as you mentioned in the last episode, you'd got the Zoom H8 and you were going to test it while you were away. And we thought today we would do our Better Podcasting download as your first impressions of the Zoom H8 because you got a lot more to say than the little snippet that we put in last week's Better Podcasting live chat. And also, we wanted to make sure to hit the whole audience here because I think you got some like you and I have talked before the show. You got some really important things to say about this. And I think people need to know. So I'm just going to turn it over to you. I'm just going to listen and maybe just enjoy this moment of Stargate Pioneerness.
1: (laughs) Well, you feel free to break in with any questions because I'm sure your questions would be similar to what the listeners have. So, if you want to see me unboxing the Zoom H8, there's a video over on the Gungun Gear channel. I did that right before I left. It was really quick, quick and dirty, and I did that to ask our audience, ask the Gungun Gear YouTube channel audience, if they had any questions about the Zoom H8, and I was going to be using it over the course of the next couple of weeks because I was going to be out of town on vacation, and I wanted to hear questions on how people wanted to see me review it and answer in a follow-on review. And I still plan to do that full review video. What we're gonna talk about right now is just my first impressions. It's not gonna be a full review like I still plan to do over on the going Geek Gear YouTube channel. So I unboxed it, I used it for a couple of weeks, and I'm gonna put used in quotes because it was limited to what I was able to do. I did immediately update the firmware. It came with firmware 1.0. And by the time that I opened it and was able to use it, the firmware 1.2, which was released on August 31st, 2020, was released. So I updated the firmware to 2.1. I have actually no idea what the differences are between firmware 1.0 and 1.2, but 1.2 is what I was using it. And right before... We went on the air, I checked the Zoom website, 1.2 is still the current latest firmware to be used, and I do anticipate them updating that firmware as we go on. I'm going to cut to the chase right here, to basically the bottom line, and I'm going to tell you that this is a phenomenal updated and upgraded H6, and basically the new top of the line to the... Handy recorder line, the portable handy recorder. So you could call it the granddaddy or grandmommy, whatever your gender preference is, to the handy recorders. However, it has some significant limitations that may make you look elsewhere for a podcasting recording device, in my opinion. We'll get more into that later. So the first thing that I noticed is that most of the touch button controls that you find on the H six, the play pause and the fast forward volume controls, the menu controls, what have you are actually on this touch screen for the H eight. I just had to home it right there, but that is what you see and you see it's in color. And it is pretty big in comparison to the H6, but unfortunately, because it's a touchscreen, it's not really big enough, in my opinion. My fat fingers kept on pushing the wrong button, and I would either have to go back or go back to the home in order to say what I needed to do on it and then move on. And it is a little bit clumsy. In the things that you have to do, like the headphones volume or the line out volume, there's a slider that you have to go back and forth on the touchpad. It is either oversensitive or not sensitive enough for my fingers, or maybe my fingers just don't have the correct electronic charge in them or whatever. But it was really clumsy moving that slider back and forth, and it was inaccurate to what I wanted. Like I wanted 60% and I could never get 60%. It was like 65%, 55%. It was all over the place. Could never get 60% on the headphone volume. And that is a limitation, I think. And once you get it into a mode, it is not intuitive as you're originally using it, that the home button is actually the stop button on the recorder. There's no home button. You can't get out of some modes on the screen. You actually have to go to the home button in order to get back. So there's some limitations with the touchscreen itself. Moving on, here is what I did and did not test in my two weeks, because that's very important. I have not done a full test of this. First of all, I did not explicitly test the preamps. I know everybody's worried about that for every machine. Is this good enough to drive my microphone? It's a legitimate issue. I didn't have any problems with it. I was using a Sennheiser MD-46 with it. I did have other microphones with it. Me, I did have the Rode pod mic. I had the various uh, USB XLR microphones that we use, the AT2005. I didn't use any of those. So I just used the MD-46 and I did not explicitly test the preamps. I also did not record a podcast with it. And there's a reason for that. I did not try the Bluetooth BTA-1 interface capability. There's also a reason for that. And I did not try out the capsule capability. There's not really a reason for that other than I didn't have an incredible amount of time for it. And I did use it, though, as an audio interface. Now, why did I not do the bulk of that stuff? And why did I just use it as an audio interface? Because when I set it up and I looked hard... About finding the capability to use it as an audio interface and record, just like you can with the sound devices Mix3, Mixpre 3, and Mixpre 6, the Mix Pre line. You can use a Mix Minus back and forth to record what's coming in from your computer and then record other things on, on other channels. You cannot do that on the Zoom H8. I have no idea if the hardware is capable of doing it or not. I did send an email to Zoom asking if there was the possibility to record on the Zoom H8 while using it in an audio interface. Now, Steven, you read that email, correct?
0: Yes, I did, and I know for those of you who have listened to the Better Podcasting live chat, you've heard us go through that, but we know that not everybody subscribes to that show, so we're going to go through it again because we think that it's an Im- important that we read Zoom's direct response, and SPA, you go ahead and take it away.
1: So the email that I sent them on their Contact Us page, because it didn't have a direct contact email for anybody at Zoom, I said, hi, I'm a podcaster and I connect with guests over the internet. Is there a way to use the Zoom H8 as an audio interface and record both multitrack locally and the incoming audio from my PC? Basically, if I have myself and two co-hosts in my room, please use the plus use the Soundpad. Can I send that to my PC so our guests through the computer can hear it and record everything multitrack in my room plus the guests over the computer on their own track? And... They responded, one of the representatives from Zoom responded, said, hello. Unfortunately, there is no way to do this with the H8 as it cannot record locally when in audio interface mode. You could potentially record the audio from the computer using the line in on the capsule coming from the headphone port, but you would not be able to send your audio back to the computer. Please let me know if you have any other questions. As Stephen mentioned, he talked about it in the Better Podcasting live chat last week in 17. This is the main reason why I did not use this. I'd had no other gear with me. Well, I mean, I could have done it the way that I always do. I still had my H5 with me. I had the H6 with me right here, and I had the H8 with me, all of which can be used in conjunction with the microphones that we have said are great for starting out for podcasters, the AT2005, the ATR2100, and the Samsung QTU. I actually had all three microphones with me because I took my big podcast bundle because I wanted to do a myriad of tests with the Zoom H8. But once I got to this point and I had other things happening around me, I decided it wasn't worth my time to go any further because this was not going to be able to do the things that I wanted it to do. It has a podcast mode. We'll talk about that in a second. But it is not capable of recording a mix minus back and forth through an iPad or a computer as you are multi-tracking on the device. Now, Stephen, I didn't actually have a chance yet to listen to your response to that specific limitation last week. So could you summarize what you said last week?
0: Yeah, I just was kind of highlighting that essentially this this is an indication that the H line is going to continue to be primarily geared towards something in person. Now, whether that's people together in person, that's musicians in person, or that is you using other equipment to do internet connections, but still at the end of it, it would be a setup that you would have in person. That's clearly an indication here that the H line is not meant to do anything to do with electronic communication. That's just not what their goal is here. And I was a little confused when they had had the P4, was it P4 announced? Yeah, and P4. then and then this was on the heels of the H8 because they had podcasting in both of them. And it was confusing. But to me, w- this this sucks for you. This sucks for people who plan to use it the way that you were. But I think it's a really good indication that this is continuing to go with that division of the H line being handheld sort of in-person type scenario use without really internet communication. That was my my point.
1: And I'm glad we're thinking alike because that's ultimately my point too. Now, I talked a little bit about modes. There are four recording modes that you can find on the H8. I'm showing for our video users, I'm showing it up on the screen right now. You have a field, mode which you can multi-track with. You have a music mode, which I think ultimately is a stereo track. And then you have a podcast mode and then you have an audio interface mode. Now once again you cannot record through the audio interface mode, but you can send multi-track through the USB to your computer. I don't like to record that way. I as many of you know both Steven and I like to record off board our main computers. For a lot of reasons, and we have a lot of how I say my podcast stories about that. So, we want to record on the device. We don't want to use the device as an audio interface only solely to send it to the computer. Now, the podcast mode, as far as I can tell, can only record a single stereo track. That's a limitation. I want to multi track. So, why would you want to use the podcast mode? You can use the sound pads that are on there to play little sound pads as you're recording, maybe in somebody's office and do an all-in-one production so that you can take the file out and throw it up on the internet. We don't advocate doing that. We advocate actually editing your file. There's a lot of reasons you should do that. There is leveling that you should do. There is things in the audio that you might want to take out, like crutch words. There are statements that you might want to take out, You might want to reorder things if it makes more sense. Depends on who you're interviewing, if you're interviewing, that sort of thing. So I don't particularly like that. I would use this in the field mode where I could do a multi-track recording. Interestingly enough, the music mode does have a EQ on two channels, like M1 and M2. It's a three-band EQ. Didn't check that out. But if you're interested in that, it might be for you. Some other thoughts about the H8. It did not come with a case like the H5 does and the H6 does. It did not come with a case. It just came in a box. So I've been traveling with it in a box because I don't want to mark this thing up. It is mine. Zoom did not send it to me. I bought it. I do not intend on returning it. Although if I hadn't used it for two weeks, I might have, but I used it for two weeks and I did use it for two weeks as an audio interface. I did work calls. I was teleworking while on vacation. Great. Social distancing, the pandemic. You can actually work on vacation. I don't advocate doing that, but uh, I had a, a couple of important meetings and I was able to do it because I was using this. So if you have one of these, you can, and a microphone, you can do that. The headphone port out, and I know Steven has commented on this before. It is very noisy. All the Zoom devices I have, I just, held up the zoom h5 the h6 i have the h8 Stephen, you have used the l12 or 20 before you have the 12 you have the l8 and, and all of them have noisy headphone port outs correct
0: uh i would say the h devices are noisier than the l devices i, I nope. in my experience
1: Okay. And you you also have an H6, so you, compare, you can compare between the H6 mm-hmm. headphones out and the L-series headphones exactly. out. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So very noisy headphones. It's a zoom trait, and I wish they would fix it. But uh, on the other hand, it's something that I can live with because of all the other capabilities. And from what I've heard, the P4 also suffers from it. I don't know if the P8 does or not, which, by the way, was announced the second week that I was out on vacation. So I had I had my vacation later, I might have taken the P8 with me instead of the H8. It's very similar. The H8, by the way, is very similar build quality to the H6 and the H5. Kind of robust. It's still plastic. It's not like a hard metal or anything, but for what it is, I think it's well put together. I do like the fact that the gain knobs are not digital, and I really like that because of the problems that I had getting the digital volume controls to the right place, if they were sliders in there, I just would not like And it's not like you have an up-down button like I believe the H4 does. I don't have an H4N, but I believe the H4N has up-down buttons that you can use to be discreet in going up and down. And the uh, H8 does not have that. So I'm very glad that the gain buttons for the channels are all knobs. They're small knobs. I do have big fingers, as I talked about before, and I'm able to adjust them with no problem. I had years of experience with all of those devices, so it's no big deal. We already talked about the music mode does have the three-band EQ to it. I did not use that. I just want to reiterate there. So let's go into my initial conclusion of using this. I definitely will say that I have buyer's remorse. And and that's hard for me to say on a device like this because five years ago, when we started Better Podcasting, I would have said, you need to get yourself, if you have multiple people in the same room, if you do stuff like... If you're tabletop gaming and you're trying to record between six and 10 people, this would be an incredible deal for you to have. And it still is if that's what you're doing. But if you're doing anything over the internet at all, this cannot do that mix minus and you have to jury rig it up with another device. And I think there's other devices that do it without getting another device right now. And I would not get that. So I was hoping for the sound devices Mix Pre 3, Six Ten 10, USB mix minus capability, I didn't have that. The P8 was announced while I was on vacation and I already had the H6 to perform al- almost all the functions except for it's only capable of six channels, which I've never had to go beyond that. But I, that's it. That's the only plus that I can see for me as a podcaster over the H6. So I have buyer's remorse on this, Stephen. And what do you feel about that? Me having buyer's remorse on a piece of podcasting gear. This is rare.
0: I'm disappointed to hear that, but um, at least I don't have to buy it to find out about it. Uh, (laughs) Fair enough. No, seriously, that that does suck to hear. Like, it's disappointing because it looked pretty promising. Um, I, I have taken a lot of shots at their original promo video that they put on YouTube because the podcasting section on that promo was really cliche. It felt very disconnected with what a podcast was. And it felt like they had in their own mind what a podcast was. So I've taken a lot of shots against against that, but I did give it credit for having a podcast feature in it. And it gave me hope that they might, it might work for sort of an average podcaster, but I guess again it's that H line division where it seems like they're not wanting to to make it used for an online communication which which is too bad. And I guess the P line is is isn't really handheld recording though, is it? So it's kind of like
1: <laughs> the P4 is small though. We'll yeah. see. I I do I said in the Discord channel that I do plan to Uh, buy and purchase uh, P4, it just hasn't, I have, it just hasn't arrived yet. So we'll see what the differences are in terms of functionality for podcasting versus the podcast mode here on the H8. I think Zoom could have done more for the H8. I think they were either too busy developing the P4 and the P8, uh, but didn't have enough oomph to put it into the H8, or they simply don't understand how most podcasters would use it possibly, as you said, at the beginning of the segment, they have a music priority. I, I would concur with that in my opinion, that they have a music priority, but since there's more and more podcasters, it's more and more of the market. I don't know what the division is right now. We talked about that before on the show where most of the audio gear has been geared towards musicians simply because musicians by far still today are the bulk of the consumers for this consumer electronics. There are other options out there as well, even in the Zoom family with the P4 and the P8. But yeah. there's also the Tascam stuff right now, which you can multi-track record in the in the mixer. There's the Rode Caster Pro. There's the Sound Devices if you want a portable recording device. So there are other options.
0: A billion kickstart devices that will probably not be good, <laughs> but maybe who knows.
1: Yeah, maybe, maybe like the, the, there's, and I don't think it was Kickstarter, but the go, go XLR, I believe was was one of them. So, I mean, it's, it doesn't have the same capability of multi-tracking, but you had that as well. And I, as I said at the beginning of this segment, when I, I gave my uh, assessment up front, in my opinion, I think most podcasters should look elsewhere for their portable recording capability rather than the zoom H eight. And some of those elsewhere is include the zoom line so i'm not saying zoom sucks As podcasters don't get anything zoom but i'm saying that the h8 is probably not where you want to vector into
0: i should tease right now by the way if you want to come to our discord at betterpodcasting.com slash discord uh hit me up on on to do with the p8 why i have a couple issues on there about my thoughts about them being disconnected from the podcast industry
1: The one difference from the H8 over the P4, and I see Bangs Nutty Bits in the chat right now has mentioned it, that the P4 is just uh, 44.1 kilohertz and 16-bit only for the recording. You do have the entire suite of recording capabilities to use on the H8. You can select anything that you can already select with the H6 in terms of bit rate and frequency rate. So is good with the H8. But again, there, there's a severe capability limitation for most hobby podcasters as we know it that I would not recommend for it. In the Discord server, I was asked by multiple people if I would return it or possibly use it as a replacement for the H6 in my studio. Unless the preamps are significantly better, like a order of magnitude better, than the H6. I don't see a reason for me to switch out the H6 for the H8 other than it's a you know bigger machine, which in my case, I want a smaller desk profile anyway. So that doesn't really help me there. And as far as returning it, I bought it. I used it for two weeks. I'm not going to return it. And I might want to keep it for later A-B testing with something else or comparison with something else. So I plan to keep it but if I could trade it in for a P eight, I probably would, honestly, at, at this point, you know, you're you're at the same price point, one's 399, one's 499. I would really have preferred to have used that money for the P eight versus the H eight. So, but I don't plan to return it. I I feel that it would be a bad consumer having used it for two weeks, traveled 720 miles one way with it, 720 miles back and then return it. I, I just don't think that's that's good. And I do plan on doing the full review video still. So that's another use that I'll have for it as well. And I do, yeah, that's about it. I mean, the last three points I've already said, I'm going to do a complete review on the going to gear channel. I have a P4 on order and the P8 has my attention, but yeah, the thing about the P8 versus this, is I, I don't have a scale of size. I haven't done a size comparison of it, but it's going to be significantly bigger to fit in my my mobile bag, and I wanted something small. So maybe the sound Devices is Mixpre 6 is what I need. I don't know.
0: Well, thanks for giving your first thoughts. I look forward to seeing what else you got to say when you do a full review, but I think that that was quite comprehensive for what our audience needs to know at this point. And if you do have any other questions for SP, uh, come to our Discord, betterpodcasting.com slash Discord, ask him over there. And everybody else will watch his answer because everybody's got their eyes on SP's first impressions of this.
2: This is where we here at Better Podcasting turn the show over to you as we run through some of your feedback. We call this segment Better Podback.
0: Well, SP, you just went on for a while, so I'll give you a chance to catch up with your breath. And Thank you. and I'll take the first piece of feedback here because it's all about me. Yes. Uh, well, it didn't start by me, but then it got turned towards me. Uh, we did have somebody talking a little bit about stream decks earlier. Yes, they had sent us a message. It was from ingenious one and ingenious one said, does anyone else use the stream deck for editing podcasts? decided to give it a try by mapping key shortcuts to the keys and it's like night and day. Much easier to hit one button versus a three key keyboard combination. And then following up to that, ingenious one said, I already had the stream deck and wondered how to use it in a podcasting setup. This is it. Steven, you had mentioned that you use yours for streaming. Is that for streaming your podcast or like gaming as most use it? Well, first off, I don't stream gaming because I so rarely play games. like
1: it's not entirely true. you've streamed before,
0: not not for games. I, I've never streamed games. I don't I don't play games.
1: <laughs> I must have been thinking of your brother then. yeah,
0: not me. no nope. i I've streamed editing sessions. I stream podcasts, but no, nope, not games. However, uh, I do use the stream deck for this. I actually early in the year talked about how I actually think that the stream deck was a big thing that I I didn't see the use for, but then decided to buy it on a sale uh, on a on a sale price and definitely gladly ate crow about it. And I will still to this day give a bunch of people credit for pushing me towards that mainly SP, Chris Farrell and Suncast over on The Game Geek Show. They all pushed me and pushed me and pushed me. And eventually I did it and I, I definitely benefited from it. And I do think that for podcasting, if you are doing Anything that is tied into your computer for podcasting, like let's say that you are recording through your computer or you are regularly pulling up a bunch of documents to do your podcast and you're still, you know, doing it in person. But I really think that a stream deck is one of the best things that people can buy for those functions and simplifying things. It is definitely an undervalued tool, I think, for podcasters because a lot of people do associate it with streamers and say, well, I'm not streaming podcasts. I don't have a use, but you can do shortcuts on there. So like, let's say your podcast process involves sitting down, opening up audacity, opening up your notes, opening up an internet page where you're getting some other information from and really just getting a bunch of things open up. You can set buttons on your stream deck that will launch those. So instead of having to click through and open in everything individually, you can go ahead and set buttons on that. Add in editing, add in if you are having to do, you know, anything that is um, controlling your computer. And it's just amazing how much time it really can save. Now, full disclosure, I currently don't use mine for editing, but a reason I, I took a long time to go to a Stream Deck was because for years and years and years, I've used macros, basically hotkeys on my keyboard, and so I don't really need them at this time because my keyboard is already doing my main functions of my editing. But if I didn't have a keyboard like that, I would pull the Stream Deck over every single time I edited it in order to do it. And that's the nice thing is you can have like a profile for, say, when you're recording, you can have a series of buttons for that. You can have a profile for when you're editing. So I really think if you're doing anything on your computer, regularly with your podcast, I think that it is a very valuable tool to have to simplify things. Now, is your money spent better elsewhere first, like a good microphone? Yes, 100%. You should think about what you're recording. But I do think that it's very undervalued for non-streaming, for true, like, by definition, quote, podcasters who are, are just doing a podcast, but is putting effort into their podcast. I think it's very undervalued.
1: So Stephen gave a lot of credit to getting this Stream Deck last year when it was on sale. Or actually, it was earlier this year, right? It was January. I can't remember. Yeah. It was late no, December early January. No, I think it early was over January. Christmas. I think it was. I think it was. Yeah. yeah. So, so St- Stephen gives us a lot of credit. We had been pushing him to do it for over a year, probably about a year and a half before he finally, it was two years. For sure,
0: there was two Amazon Prime days. For sure, there the, was two that you pushed me. <laughs>
1: So at least a year and a half, because it was was, uh, two holiday seasons and two prime days in order to. Yeah. So it took a tremendous amount of pushing to get Steven to go ahead and do it. And then from him going from reluctant buyer to gushing over the capabilities that tells you that this is worth it for a podcaster.
0: One of the other things that I want to note as well is because I do record using my computer, I have set it up because I used to use an iPad for my sounds because when we record, we play them live, even though they get replaced in editing. I play them live so that we have timing. It's easier in editing, you know, kind of helps you with the feel while you're recording. I don't use it anymore because I have set my stream deck to do those sounds and I've just hooked up my computer's audio output into my Zoom LA so that when I push a button, my computer is just putting those like the intro sound, the outro sound, the stuff in between doing it in into my L8 from there. So it even reduced a big chunk of space that was necessary while I was recording because the Stream Deck is much smaller than that iPad I used to use.
1: Oh, yeah, Stream Deck. <laughs> if you're curious about a Stream Deck, you could talk to Steven all day long on our Discord server, and he will stop what he's doing, work. I mean, the stuff that makes him able to podcast and buy the Stream Deck, he will stop work in order to talk to you about the Stream Deck.
0: Don't guarantee me to communicate. I'm the worst <laughs> at communicating. Everybody knows that who's ever contacted with me. I, I am the worst at email I'm the worst at social media. I'm terrible. Well,
1: will come to the Discord and maybe somebody else will answer your question.
0: <laughs> All right, let's go to the last piece of feedback we had here, SB, which is from Dr. Bex.
1: My audio guy's audio interface just crapped the bed last night, like dead and gone. Usually attaches the intro and outro and checks the levels and compresses as necessary. Pretty sure it won't be replaced before my episode is due out. If I'm going to see if maybe we can do it on my end of things, but I have to wait until he wakes up. Maybe I'll have a how I save my podcast for you on the next episode, Stargate Pioneer and Steven Drew. Yeah, still waiting on that how I save my podcast. Either way, at this point, you have something that went wrong and he Either went out that way, or you corrected it. Either way, I want to hear uh, how I said my podcast story on that.
0: Can I just say that like sudden equipment failures are the worst. Like they they oh. will take the wind out of your sails so fast. Even worse than negative feedback, they just deflate you so bad because you know that it's something you got to diagnose. You know it's something you got to sometimes wait on. You know it's going to take time at some point. And there's a good chance it's going to cost somebody money.
1: They're the The worst. Yeah. The last time my mixer went out, it was right before like an important interview that we had. I don't know if you remember that or not, Steven. So I had to cobble together some sort of a system to be able to record that day. I ended up tearing my mixer out and I bought the same exact mixer. This is stupidity, right? So the mixer died and I needed to replace the mixer, but it took. I don't know, 10 days or so to get to me, then I had to dial it back in, hook everything back up and everything. It's just, it was a pain. I I don't like doing it. So when I upgrade my gear, which will happen, we talked about it all this year, I've been planning on upgrading my gear. I just know that it's going to take like a week or two to get everything back to normal. And I'm not looking forward to it, but I am looking forward to the new gear.
0: If you want to talk to us while we're not recording, head on over to the Discord, like SP said. Come to betterpodcasting.com slash Discord. You can email us to podcast at betterpodcasting.com. And if you didn't gather by now, we do have a full video companion to the show, which you can check out at betterpodcasting.com. So if you're comfortable sending us a video clip, if you're going to send us a piece of feedback, we'd love to have that so that our video audience can see your shining face. SP, thanks again for putting that all together this week. I know that was a lot that you had to put together, but uh, I think that it definitely hit on uh, some very important information that our audience needed to know about your experience with the, um, I almost said LA, the H8. So thank yeah. you very, very much. And hey, if you got a question for SP, as he mentioned in the segment, please do get in touch with him because yeah, that would be uh, good for us to find out what else people are wondering about.
1: Yeah, I'll probably take another week or two after this episode goes out to gather my thoughts, test the, the piece, and then I'm going to start filming. And I don't know how long that's going to take. It's probably going to take a while, and then the video will be posted. And that will probably be the end of my use of the Zoom H8.
0: And lastly, before we go, I want to give a special shout out. I teased it a little while ago on this for the Better Podcasting Live chat. We got a new member on the Gonna Geek Network. SP, are you ready to say it with me? Let's welcome
1: Aurelia Pod, also known as Adventures in Aurelia. By the way. Yes,
2: the
0: uh, Damien, we talk about him quite a bit. Damien has joined the network with his podcast, Adventures in Aurelia. So please check that out on the Guinea Geek Network. We would like to officially welcome you and say thank you for joining the Gunna Geek Network. It's uh, definitely a gap that we had on the network. So I'm so happy and so happy to have you, Damien, uh, on the network because you're active in our community. So welcome aboard. But for episode 235 of Better Podcasting, I'm Steven John Drew saying if you watch SP's review, he's going to have a bunch of dolly shots of the H8.
1: And I'm looking forward to filming the Zoom H8 review. See you guys in a couple of weeks.
0: There's no dolly shots. Bye.
2: <laughs> Thanks for checking out another episode of Better Podcasting. You can find the full back catalog of Better Podcasting at betterpodcasting.com. If you're into geeky podcasts, please check out the other podcasts on the Gunna Geek Network. At GunnaGeekNetwork.com. This show was produced and edited by Stephen John Drew of GunnaGeek Productions. Voice work was done by L.W. Salinas. Thanks again for listening or watching, and we hope to see you again next week.